We need to stop looking at education as the defining characteristic of your career. Skills are important. Project management skills, critical thinking skills, the ability to write, the ability to think differently. These are, you know, 20, you know, 21st century skills. And that was Katie Menard, and this is Climate Tech Talks. Hi, welcome again to the Climate Tech Talks. I'm your host, David Contreras. Today, we had the chance to catch up with Katie Menard, the CEO of Ally. She's an impressive diversity, inclusion, and equity advocate in the energy world. We touched on how the oil and gas community is preparing for the energy transition. We discussed the role of corporates, governments, but in particular, the role of the individual, and how our own soft skills may be the key to ensure relevance in an uncertain environment. Finally, we discussed how Houston is going through a major rebranding exercise to become the energy transition capital of the world, and how Green Town Labs, the climate tech accelerator, is planning to capitalize exactly on that. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, and welcome to the new episode of Climate Tech Talks. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Katie Menard, CEO and founder of Ally Energy. Welcome, Katie. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for having me. This is this is awesome. No, I know. I, and I appreciate that you've been super busy in the last few weeks and uh, organizing the, the own conference. Was it the, the second time around or the third? You know, this was our, our sixth uh, conference. Sixth. Yes, we've put on a conference since inception, um, well before COVID, well before digital was cool. Um, we believe that digital uh, has the power to include. And so we've been working to bring as many great speakers and people together so that we can hear each other and um, converse about the challenges around uh, energy, environment, and equity. Excellent. And I will I will kind of deconstruct some of those in, in a bit because for me that I've been following you for, for quite a while, for me, you're almost the queen of diversity and inclusion. Uh, well, it's at the equity and that, at that part in the energy world. And I think that the, the work that you've been doing is quite inspirational for young professionals, for women, for communities that are not as represented uh, as they should in, in the energy. So let's start from that. I think that it's worth mentioning that obviously you worked for Shell and BP, but then you created Pink Energy, which I think has transformed into Ally. But can you describe a bit of, or, or what inspired you to, to go into that route after being, you know, working for the for the super majors? How was that basically that journey for you? Yeah, thanks for the question. You know, I started my career in energy many years ago, actually in, in Texas in power and utilities. And I was fascinated, I was always fascinated by around energy. You know, energy makes the world move. Uh, nothing happens without it. It's the, it's the currency of life. And when I was at BP, I had just read a book by a very uh, famous woman here in the States. Her name is Sheryl Sandberg. And she had really tried to get the women's movement going. You know, her, her message, her message in her book lean in was basically 
women, you know, take your seat at the table. And I remember thinking, what does this mean for me? One of the questions she asked in her book was, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I had always thought I might try my hand outside of the profession, meaning don't become, uh, you know, become an entrepreneur and and not be a, a corporate, you know, type. And so when I started Pink Petro, it was literally to address a situation that had happened to me on a, on a plane. I sat next to a guy. He said, what's a pretty young lady like you doing in a dark, dangerous business like oil and gas? And I thought, you know, there are two problems with this statement. The first is women and men can do each other's jobs. Let's get that out of the way. But the Whatever second, we want. Yeah. Right, right. But the second is dark, dangerous. Okay, yes, inherently dangerous and risky. The things we do in oil and gas are... Uh, they harm the environment. We we've harmed. We put people in harm's way. Absolutely, but we deliver energy to the world. So I felt like I needed to start a company to address these two misconceptions. So huge biases. Uh... Yeah, bias around equity and the bias around energy. Fascinating. So. You have the Pink Petra, as you mentioned. When, when did that reconversion, rebranding into Ally happen? Well, it's interesting because I knew the moment we we launched. I'm a, so my background is in communications and history, and and believe it or not, I went to to, to college for political science, and I was always fascinated by people and policy and um, human behavior, and so. I knew when we launched Pink Petro that it was going to be irrelevant at some point, but we needed to get the conversation going. We needed to get people to uh, to engage. And so a number of years in, I got called to testify before U.S. Congress on the energy workforce of the future, because this is an effort that we have been leading for a number of years. And, you know, it hit me. We're all having this challenge around talent not just the oil and gas industry, but utilities, clean tech, uh, nuclear, you name it. Energy, until the environment kind of got on the scene and people started taking notice of our climate problem, was not a really sexy topic. I mean, you wake up, the lights are on. In Texas, we take advantage of the fact that we have air conditioning year-round, heat year round, unless, of course, you were a part of the, the freeze earlier this year. So people getting basically things for, for granted, right? Yes, absolutely. And so I realized, I said, you know what, we're going to need, we're going to need to throw the kitchen sink at this is what we say in the States. We need an all, all energy approach here. And after watching the associations or a number of associations in this space, all great groups, trade groups that are in oil and gas and utilities and even solar and wind, but they're trade groups and trade groups don't reach the public. Trade groups reach the trades themselves. Yeah. They talk very inwardly about what they do. So I said, we got to make this social. We got to pump social um, into this conversation and use the uh, the digital tools. So there was a, there was a time when I knew I needed to shift, but because the company has been growing 40% year on year, 100%. I mean, 
when do you have the time to rebrand? And then the pandemic happened, which was a great opportunity for us to slow down in order to speed up our strategy. So we we rebranded early during the pandemic last year. Mm, interesting timing. Because in terms of what's going on, right? So we're based, well, I'm based in, in the UK. Things in, in Europe probably have accelerated also by the pandemic. But even before that, with environmental activists, with society in, in Europe as a whole demanding, you know, sustainable practices. So I think that the, the evolution, the pro progress on, you know, the energy transition, even the super majors making pledges that, that took even a lot of people by surprise. But thing has been a bit more slower in, in the U.S., well, especially after the, the last four years. But with the current administration, we see that the U.S. is trying to pick up the tab and, and try to catch up uh, and doing all these amazing announcements on how they're going to foster uh, renewables and uh, other so sort of technological innovation programs to put the U.S. again in the map of, of the future of climate tech, clean tech. Can you say, or what can you see? What can you see of what's going on, especially in Texas, from the point of view of both the workforce, how are, are they adapting to the whole energy transition discussion, uh, which are some of the major themes that you explored in the conference uh, last week, but also from the companies themselves. Are they finally catching up? What, what's your view on that? Are you, what's your sentiment? Yeah, no, I'm so glad you're asking. Look, I have a view on this. And the view is the larger companies have been at climate and sustainability, health and safety, environment, they've been leading in that space for years, but not taking the credit, okay? And look, to the climate activists and environmentalists out there who say the oil and gas industry isn't doing enough, they're right. They're, they weren't doing enough. They weren't, okay? Um, that's a reality. And I, and I think nobody wants to, to debate that. I think what you're seeing is a generation retiring Uh, you know, we talked about the great crew change for years. It's happening. It's been happening for the last six years. You have leaders that are, you know, entering into new roles in these large companies. And they are very much responsible for the future of, uh, you know, where we're headed in terms of energy efficiency and development of new technology. So do I think people are catching up? Absolutely. Um, people... <laughs> People argue all the time, the oil and gas industry isn't doing enough. You know what? We're all not doing enough, in my view. Um, and what's going to really accelerate this, uh, this situation with our environment is collaboration and partnership. Um, we've got to work together. And, and sadly, in the U.S., we're a very divided nation. We've allowed uh, policy and politics to really kind of reign supreme. I get pretty, pretty uh, annoyed and, and, and people get annoyed with me too, because I like to believe I'm a centrist. I, I like to take, uh, you know, uh, perspectives and, and see things from different um, points of view. And, and, you know, the politicians in America just need to shut up and sit down and let The private sector, and I say that, by the way, on both sides, I think politicians have become a big part of the problem. They get, they're what get, they, 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 they are the ones that get in the way, right? 
In fact, I keep telling uh, young people, I'm like, please, let's get some new blood right into the states and into the local governments and into the federal government. So people are educated on on energy. Energy runs our economy. I mean, the backbone of our economy is carbon. And we've got to do something about that. And companies are looking at a myriad of ways, right, we can invest in the future, CCUS, hydrogen, um, you know, wind, solar, all of it. I tell people we need an all and above approach to energy. And this needs to be all inclusive, meaning it's a great opportunity for every single person on this planet to be a part of, of our, of our, our future. And so I, uh, I get annoyed about it just because we tend to see things very black or white. We don't see the shades of gray. And I feel like it's my duty as, as an industry leader, someone who's been inside two very large oil companies and seen the commitment and also seen the challenges and someone in the mainstream to help educate the public, you know, on what we've got. And um, in the U.S., we've got a big challenge ahead of us. But I don't think that uh, I think people are awake. I think people are aware. And we're in a time in the history of our world where humanity has said, OK, enough is enough. Business has said enough is enough. The markets have said enough is enough. And I think we're going to see a flourishing after COVID around uh, energy technology and efficiency. Uh, I, could, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I also worked for one of the super majors for, for Total. And it's impressive to see, you know, the level of commitment, uh, of putting finally some, some money into, you know, very different technologies, namely solar and, and immobility, a lot of offshore wind. And it's actually quite nice to see in, in the first few months of 2021 to, to see the, the Chevrons and even actually today, Exxon or yesterday actually made a commitment of saying, well, we need to plan, you know, car- carbon capture at, at an industrial level to, to actually remove as much as possible CO2. So it's that level of commitment. And, and as you mentioned, right, the collaboration that it's needed. And that's from the corporate side. But I wanted to go to the nitty gritty of how the employees of all these companies that unfortunately because of COVID, the double whammy of what happened with, with the oil markets last year in terms of demand, destruction and oversupply. Uh, a lot of employees or their employees, unfortunately, either lost their jobs or, or are potentially at a very insecure place. Why are you f- hearing from them in terms of their their needs? Are they considering potentially moving straight into, let's say, clean energy jobs or climate jobs? And why is Ali, for example, Ally doing to, to help them that as a platform? Um, and maybe a third question right there. What's what's your role as ambassador for the Department of Energy to, to address, for example, some of these discussions on diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, into all this mix? So, look, one of the biggest rubs particularly in the U.S. and really worldwide. I mean, let's get let's get to the heart of it. I think it was last week um, <laughs> at our at our conference. You know, we talked about 
you know, the, this, the shift and, and the shift around jobs and look, when, when our ability to earn a living or our ability to provide for our families is impacted, well, then people are right, are, are paying attention and they're, they're, they're alert. Fossil fuels are not going to go away. They just have to change. Uh, we've got to be more efficient and we've got to look at other forms of energy to be part of our mix. And we need to use fossil fuels for the stuff that you can't <laughs> make. It's we've got to get practical and smart about our use of energy. And the thing is, is I have no doubt in the world that our workforce, it is the most educated. It is the absolute most um, innovative despite the fact that it gets no love, okay? And that's my job is to remind people that, look, energy 1.0 is what we call it, got us to where we are in the modern age. Yeah. But it's got to change. And so to the oil and gas industry folks who say, look, I, I just, I don't want change. I'm here to say, you got to get with the program changes happening. And that means the development of your skill. It means trying on different things. It also might mean moving for a job or, you know, pivoting the career. For some, they're not going to see change because they're in an, they're, they're, their skill sets, right, can be applied across a wide range of technologies. And for some, we're going to see a complete reduction of the number of people we need. For instance, geologists, right? This is the big thing right now is, is, yeah. What are we going to do with the world's geologists? Well, I'm here to tell you that geologists are some of the most creative humans I've met ever. You know, and and creativity is extremely important as a skill set. We need to stop looking at education, and I say this broadly in America, as the defining characteristic of your career. Skills are important. Project management skills critical thinking skills, the ability to write, the ability to think differently. These are, you know, 20, you know, 21st century skills. And so I tell people, you can be part of this transition, or you can be left behind. Now, that's not to say that we need to, uh, to leave people behind intentionally, the US did a terrible job at converting coal workers, right. And so a lot of people are feeling a sense of resentment around that failed situation. But that doesn't mean we're going to fail in converting our oil and gas workforce. If anything, I say, these are the guys and gals that took the risks, that were the wildcatters, that found the new technologies. I mean, look at shale, right? We created a whole boom within years. So I actually believe the oil and gas workforce is a huge relevant part of this future. Um, now, the details, got to iron that stuff out, right? You ask any politician, <laughs> well, tell me more about the jobs bill or tell me more about, and they can't get into the details and they're not gonna. We in the private sector need to sit down and really have a hard look at mapping those skills and giving people pathways for the future. And that's what Ally wants to be a part of is helping us to define what are those jobs? What are those opportunities? And let's make sure that we get as diverse of a workforce into play so that they can be a part of designing the new future for our energy system. Absolutely. I think that, uh, thank you for 
giving your thoughts on, on what sort of transferable skills because it's true you know that uh, our peers the, the oil industry as a whole is super innovative and, and technological and data driven and a lot of people obviously we get a bad rap and, and maybe we deserve so because well we, we haven't done a good job in actually saying hey we especially from more and more with commitments to, to net zero and that kind of things and, and our cha- those are, are changing so the, the messaging is it's important, as you mentioned, the, the storytelling, how we rebrand ourselves. But unfortunately, as you said, there, there might be certain areas where jobs are going to be a bit more precarious. And so we need to prepare for that future of how we make sure no one is left behind, right? Now, a quick word from our partners. Hydrogen is an important element of the energy transition. Terra.do is running a fellowship designed for finance, strategy, BV, and geoscience professionals in energy that dives deep into hydrogen technologies and business models for the energy industry. Lecturers come from expert organizations like RMI, NIRO, and NREL. The application deadline is really soon, May 21st. So check it out at www.terra.do and use the promo code EXPIRATIONIST to get a whopping 25% off. Hurry up. So in terms of the difficulties or obstacles on, on some of those people that are trying to transition, they're, they're saying, well, maybe there's not that much scoping, continuing a career in upstream, for example. And what are the main obstacles do you think that they, they are facing, either personally or from career-wise? What do you think they're 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 looking at and saying, hey, there's a necessary pivot now that I need to do. And maybe related to that, the obstacles and then the how. How are they going to do it? You're, I know that you're trying to to help them in that transition, but what are the main how tos they can explore at the moment? Yeah, I think the main obstacles right now are um, it's less about the technical skill and it's more about well, there's fatigue around change. You know, we're, <laughs> we live in a world that's in constant state of what I call change and chaos. And a lot of that we can't control, but what we can control is our response. I was very fortunate many years ago, David, my first job out of college, I lost it within a, a year and it was a big blow to my ego, but I learned very quickly that the world wasn't static anymore. You know, my father is 77. He he probably spent, I don't know, his entire career at two or three companies, right? It's not the reality anymore, right? And so we have to teach people that resilience and bouncing back, the ability to, you know, to innovate. Look, I moved my own cheese, as they say. I left the industry. It was a great salary. It was great Benny's. But I wanted something more purposeful. I wanted to know that I'd spend the rest of my time on this earth making some sort of impact. And that didn't matter to me. Now, some people are motivated and rightly so, right, by financial, you know, incentives. Everybody's motivated differently. But when I talk to people about clean energy and and I see what's on the horizon in terms of opportunity, these these wages will rise just like job markets emerge. I mean, programmers didn't make the money they made until, you know, IT became right hot. Clean energy is going to get so much investment 
And the people that embrace investing in their skill sets are going to be the ones who win. Now, I will say this, there are, unfortunately, there is a, a period or of time here in the US, and I'm not sure if it's the same in Europe, you know, sometime in the age around the age of 50, right? There's a, even though there's laws against it, 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 you know, there is this notion of ageism, you know, I believe that actually, because we have so many people, we, we're going to have a shortage of talent in this next wave of work that, you know, 50 is the new 40 and 40 is the new 30. We're going to need a lot of hands in this, in this energy, you know, in this change with this transition. And so I just tell people to be patient and I tell people to work on their, the, the, the human skills, right? The personal skills. It's not so much about the technology as it is, um, you know, these interpersonal skills that, that I think are, um, a challenge, particularly if you've never had to change your job or change your profession ever. I just happen to be very lucky. I had a bumpy road very early in my life. So I've learned to expect that nothing is a given. Yeah, I think that COVID taught us all that, hey, there is no such a thing as a certainty, right? So everything can come and collapse on top of your head in any minute. And, and I agree. I think the World Economic Forum mentioned some of those skills that you're mentioning, right? The, the resilience, the creativity, how you communicate, all those. I think that whenever we will have programming, sort of everyone's going to be doing, it, it will become kind of not value added in a way. You, you need to do more of the human things to actually be able to 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 sell, to discuss, to negotiate, to to actually bond with with other other people, and you know that that applies to to businesses. But given that sweet spot between creativity, between tech, between maybe all that's happening in, in Texas, I wanted to discuss briefly what's going on in Houston. I know that, for example, there are new initiatives like Greentown Labs that just opened the, the doors. Can you describe a bit? What sort of the, the future? I know that Houston is a major rebranding exercise as, as the energy transition capital of the world. Why are you excited about Houston? What's going on there? And, and what do you think we can all all learn from, from those, that sort of melting pot that, that Houston is? Well, I, I'll tell you, the most exciting part of what's happening in Houston right now <laughs> is is actually watching diversity in action. So, you know, the thing that I love about Texas is that it is, first of all, it is the biggest and the baddest state in the union, um, no doubt. Um, and it is full of diversity, diversity of uh, energy form. You know, if you look at, if you look at Houston alone, we have space. We have the medical center. When I think about, I mean, I get chills talking about the amount of science, technology, engineering, and math that comes out of, of Houston. It is the heart of STEM, right? It is, it is a place that, that has powered modern times. And one of the really neat things that we're excited about being a part of is, you know, for, for years now, I've floated around. I'll be honest, you know, people are like, what is Ally and how do you make money and paying 
I mean, the, the criticism has abounded or, and the, and the curiosity too, but the criticism too, you know, why just women and why pink and all that, right? Well, Greentown Labs is a, is a number one climate tech incubator in the U.S. And they had decided about yeah, 24 months ago, they approached the city, the city approached them. And the way I understand it, there was a discussion, hey, why don't we open a Greentown Labs here in Houston? And there, there, is, there was no focused accelerator for climate tech. There was no focused accelerator for energy. And so what's exciting is to see many of the large venture, uh, many of the large energy companies, you know, like the Shells and the Chevrons, you know, have venture arms and they've invested in bringing a, a Greentown Labs to the city so entrepreneurs can work to develop this new technology. And we're a platform, so we're not, we don't make anything. If anything, we are we're seeking to generate jobs and, and economic opportunities for people. We want to, we obviously focus on the human side of climate, which is enabling the workforce. But it's exciting to see all of the innovation that is coming into uh, into the Greentown Labs Houston. And it launches this Thursday on Earth Day in uh, in the U.S. So really excited about that. Really great to see uh, all these different um, companies, entrepreneurs, innovation hubs, academics, all walks of life coming together to assure that Texas and particularly Houston is the energy transition capital of the world. Yeah, that is fascinating. I think that the timing is right. You, you mentioned it. That there's a lot of capital being directed to, to address the climate issue. You have the amazing melting pot of cultures, very international, and then you know amazing universities, academic, academics, and, and so on. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that the optimism is is well deserved to to come up with the new ways that we, we will produce and and manage energy. So very exciting. So maybe to to wrap up, Katie, what why is exciting you about 2021 and moving forward is is it something particular maybe a, an area of of you know the green economy climate tech that you're especially encouraged or as a as a whole what, what what's going on in your mind about the, the aspirations of, of what's possible right now to achieve hey i mean i think what i'm most excited about is that it feels like the world is coming together and we're moving faster to address climate change. In 2017, I had to uh, to be rescued out of my home. Uh, my daughter and I, Allie, um, spade, uh, spelled A-L-L-Y. So there is a special reason for the company. Mm, interesting. Um, but she goes by Allie and we, we were very much about, you know, ally. I realized in that moment that, despite losing everything that I would have a chance to rebuild my life and my home. And as hard of a reality that was for me, it hit me pretty hard to think about people across the world and, and even in the United States that don't have the means to rebuild due to um, climate related disasters. And so it became very personal it became more personal. You know, it's interesting because people say, oh, the oil and gas industry gave you this great career and this great, you know, wealth. And it did. It gave me all of those things. But I'm convinced 
very convinced that this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to, you know, get my stop and my tour in oil and gas and learn about safety and environment and sustainability and learn that we have, you know, these challenges around equity and diversity and inclusion. And that this is what I was supposed to, you know, to do because Allie, you know, she's 10 and our children are inheriting some pretty big challenges. You know, we grew up in the world and things were a little simpler. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, they're growing up in a world that's very connected, very global, uh, very technical. And obviously we're, we're seeing, you know, rising emissions. So I am, I am most excited about seeing, unfortunately, you know, the pandemic, I think has accelerated this reality, but history says on the backside of every flu, famine, disease, that humankind flourishes. And I'm looking forward to being a part of that. I think that the energy uh, community, the energy system, our children, we all play a role in the next 10, 20 years or longer, because obviously this transition will take some time. But it's nice to see the momentum is there and that we have broad support to move forward. I love that. What a, what a beautiful, poignant uh, testimonial and, and, and thought. And yeah, hopefully that's the future that, that we're all heading to with more collaboration and more innovation to, to all work together towards you know what we want, right? Which is the same sort of world for our children. So thank you for sharing that, Katie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and with that, uh, I will have to let you go, but hopefully we'll get a chance to, to have in the pod uh, very soon. Thank you, Katie. Sounds good. Yes. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. This episode was produced by Daniela Price. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the opinion of my current employer, TS. If you like this episode, please subscribe and give us a like. It really is important for us.